Okay, we're going to be in John chapter 3 in verse 16. John 3, 16. And we're going to celebrate the love of God in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. So will you guys please stand with me as we read John 3, 16. This might be the shortest time we ever read anything together as we honor God's word every week as we read his scripture. And appropriately so. This is probably the best sentence, in my opinion, this is the best sentence ever penned by a human hand. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall what? Not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, this is a verse that we are all familiar with. But Lord, this is a verse that carries a weight that carries an intensity that carries the majesty of all of heaven and your plan of redemption. It's summed up in this one little verse. Lord, it's in that we rejoice. And so, Lord, I just pray, even though we're familiar with this verse, that we'd be reacquainted with this, with our hearts, our mind, our soul of the importance and the weight of this verse in our lives. And not only in our lives, but for the rest of the world. Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and love. A love that expresses all understanding for you as we look at this verse this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys can go ahead and be seated. As I already said today, we come to the most famous verse in all of the Bible. And again, if it's the most famous verse and the most loved verse in all the Bible, then it is, as I said, the greatest sentence ever penned by man. It's an incredible verse. John three sixteen. If you grew up in the church, it's probably the first verse or one of the first verses you memorized. It's all about the, the gospel. Martin Luther called John three sixteen the Bible in miniature. The Bible in miniature. In other words, that this little verse contains the whole message of this book. The whole story of the plan of redemption for you and me is encapsulated in this verse, John 3.16. It's an incredible verse. Most missionaries, when they go cross-cultural to um, minister to and bring the good news of the gospel to people groups, if there's not a, a translation of the Scripture in their native tongue, one of the first verses that they translate is John 3.16 in their native tongue. So they can, they can understand the message of the Bible. So we know growing up in the church, in sacred spaces as a church, it's important to the church. It, it leads, guides, and directs you and me into life and joy. But also, John 3.16 has permeated the secular culture. The culture in which we live in, right? I mean, think about it. Uh, In-N-Out Burger has it on all their cups. In-N-Out Burger has it on all their cups. Now, who's excited In-N-Out Burger's coming to Fort Collins? Raise your hand. Go ahead. Give me an amen. Yeah, I am too. In fact, I'm glad they didn't put it on college or wherever the heck they were going to put it. That would have been a dumb place to put it for. They need to put it right across the street from the crossing, right? That's what they, need. they need to put it right with that restaurant where it's been like 10 restaurants in the last one year. In-N-Out will survive there for eternity, right? All right, so In-N-Out. Um, uh, another place in which it's gotten into our service in in industry uh, a little teenage girl woman's store called Forever 21. Um, Forever 21 puts it on all their bags, in case you didn't know that, you know. 
Now, I had to go to Google and Internet to verify that because I don't shop at Forever 21, as you guys can imagine. Just in case you were wondering how I knew that. But probably the most, one of the most outstanding statistics or, or, or uh, what's I say, things out there revolving around John 3.16 is I got to go back to, all the way back to 2009 in the national championship football game, college championship football game with Tim Tebow. As we know, Tim Tebow used to wear Philippians uh, 4.13 on his eye black through the whole season. Well, he's playing a national championship game. He decides to change it to John 3.16 during the game. And during the game, for those, you know, two to four hours or however long that game lasted, this is just incredible. 94 million people Googled what is John 3.16. Isn't that astonishing? Astonishing? 94 million people Googled what is John 3.16. As much as it's so familiar with us and how it has permeated really the world, it's probably the most known verse or sentence in all the world throughout the ages, and yet 94 million people had to look it up. Tebow's first thought was, how do 94 million people not know John 3.16? Which is probably your thought, what you were thinking as well. And all that tells us is we got some work to do, don't we? As missionaries, as ambassadors of Christ, as bears, the ones that, 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 that tote the flag of the gospel and the love of God, we have a mission. And that's to go outside these walls and share the good news of Jesus, the gospel of John 3.16 with those who don't know it. You see, these 24 words, as I already said, are the greatest words in all the Bible. And therefore, again, the greatest sentence ever penned. And we have it. And we know it. And we do know this verse, don't we? You know this verse. I know this verse. But there's a danger, right? That we know this verse because we are so familiar with this verse that sometimes it loses its bite. It loses its weight to us. It loses its majesty in our lives. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to reacquaint ourselves. I want to reacquaint our souls to reorient our minds and our hearts and our souls to the love of God through the incarnation of Jesus Christ this morning. That's why we're here to celebrate. We're here to celebrate the love of God in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And so that by the end of the sermon, we can sing with the psalmist in Psalm, Psalm 8, where he sings, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen? So let's dive into John 3.16. Again, a verse that we're familiar with, but we're just going to pick this little verse apart uh, word by word, phrase by phrase. First, the amazing love of God in the incarnation of Jesus. First, we see the amazing love of God in the incarnation of Jesus. And this is where we begin. We, we begin actually in eternity in this verse, and we end with eternity in this verse. For God, that's eternal. God is eternal. We begin with God who is in eternity, and we end with eternal life. For God so loved the world. Now I want you to stop right there. And I want you to look at that little word, so. I want you to circle that word, so. I want you to underline that word, so. Sometimes the smallest words in the Bible give us the greatest meaning and weight and intensity of the Bible. That little word, so, there, it does something. It, it connects the noun, God, with its verb, love. God so loved the world. God loves. And He just doesn't love, but He loves with an intense emphasis. It's an intensity to it. God has an intense, a sacrificial, an infinite, holy, pure, heavenly love. 
That's what kind of love it has. For God so loved the world. We see that the world is the object of His love. And the question is, well, who is the world or what is the world? In Scripture, there's a lot of different ways in which the Bible talks about the world. So which one is it here? Well, it's not creation, although God loves the world. He loves creation. It's not talking about the, the world of the animal kingdom. All He loves, He loves the animal kingdom. It's not talking about the, the systems of the philosophies of the world. He does not love those. In fact, He tells us very clearly in 1 John 2, do not what? Love the world. Do not love the systems and the philosophies of the world. So what is the world here? The world is the world of man. The world of humanity, as we'd see in the Lord of the Rings, as Joe R.R. Tolkien would tell us. It's the world of men, women, children, people of every tribe, every tongue, every nation. The world here is every person that has ever been born. That's who the world is. This is who Jesus loved. This is who Jesus, uh, God pours His intense, sacrificial, in, uh, infinite pure, holy, and heavenly love on. Jesus tells us here, as He was telling Nicodemus some 2,000 years ago, this is the motivation of God. His love for the world. So the question comes up, it's like, well, what does it mean that God loved? Okay, we know what the God loved. Uh, what, does that, what does that mean? And first I want to say what it does not mean. What do we, when we look at the culture, we look outside the Bible, the Scriptures, to see what they say love is in our world, in our culture. And we could, we could go to a number of different places in uh, the world to see what the definition of the world is for love. But let's just go to pop culture. Let's go to music. Music, I think, is one of the great commentaries on our world and what, what we believe outside of Scripture. We go to music, right? So I was just thinking about as I was writing these songs, what are some songs that I know that have the word love in them that focuses on love? Now, for you younger generations, I'm sorry, most of these songs come from the 80s, okay? That's when music was good back then. Today, I don't even know what they call it. I don't know. Okay, amen? All right, all right. But, so, first, Tina Turner. Tina Turner said what? What's love got to do with it, right? And then you had Pat Benatar. Pat Benatar said what? Love is a battlefield, right? How about Death Leopard for all you headbangers in here? What'd they say? Love bites. Love bites, right? And then Tom Cruise, he sang in Top Gun, what? You lost that love and feeling, right? Now, of course, that's not unique to Tom Cruise. He didn't write that song. Some guy named Phil Spector did in the 60s, but who knows who that guy is, right? We know who Tom Cruise is, all right? But here, all right, everyone knows this one. Everyone knows this one, the Beatles, right? The Beatles. All you need is... Yep, all you need is love, they said, and then what happened? They broke up, right? So that really worked out well for them. So I think when we look at the word love, we don't want to look to the world's definition of love. We want to look to God's definition of love. And we're going to unpack this through, but let me just quickly uh, tell you what the, Lord, uh, what the Bible says about love. The Bible, um, in particular the New Testament, was very particular, very, very poignant, and when they used words, they had three to four words for love. We just have this one big ter term, say love, and it's kind of a catch-all phrase. But for the Greeks, they were really specific. They were very particular in their words. And they were, they were, again, three to four words that they used. They used the word eros, which we get erotic or sexual love. They used that word. They used phileo, where we get, you know, like Philadelphia, the, the city of brotherly love. That was kind of like a brotherly love. They used this word storge, which is kind of like an all-encompassing word. But then they used the word that's used here, agape. And, and this word is a, is, yes, it has emotion behind it, but it's a, it's a word that has 
action. Love that has an action that is sacrificial in its meaning. That it produces something in our hearts. And so this is very particular. When we, when we read John 3.16 and we see this word love, that's the definition that we need to think about. That God, is, God loves the world. That He, he demonstrates it while we are yet sinners. He died for us. It's a, a giving, a, a sacrificial love. And the reason why it's so important is because we tend to pour our own definitions in the Bible, right? Instead of using what the, the Bible uses or how the, the Bible defines it. And so when we say that God loves the world, we assume that His love for the world is like, like our love for others. Because that's the way we naturally love. And, and, and a part of that is true. God's given us the ability and the capacity to love. He's he shed the love of God in, in our hearts and we can love like Him. But we still have a different motivation. And so like God, when we say that God loves the world, we think of God loves the world like I love my wife, Rita. And you do this too. Follow along and see if this is true. Aaron so loved Rita. That's how God loves the world. But my motivation in loving my wife is, is probably a little bit different than the way God loves us. And this is what I mean. I love my wife because she, to me, is lovely. Here she comes in. Perfect timing, babe. She's lovely. She's beautiful. Right? When I, when I first saw her in college, my very first college class, uh, the first thing I saw were her, her nice legs. She was sexy, right? And, and, and that drove me to her. And I, and I loved all these characteristics that I got to know her. I got to know her heart. I got to know how she was a hard worker. She was loving. She was serving. She was compassionate. And then over the last 25 years that we've been together, 30, 30 to been together, 25 married, my love has only grown more and more because the things that I thought were true about her were true. And this is how you love. You love the way I love. And the way you and I love is that we love those things or we love those people that we see as valuable, that have worth. Right? That's how we love. We don't love the things that we don't value. We love the things that we do value. So for us to love something or someone, it must be lovable. It must be valuable to us. It must have some worth. That's how we love. Or else we won't give our love to that person or thing. And here's where God's love is really not in the same ballpark as our love. Because the motivation of God's love is not dependent on the worth or the value of the object of the love, of the, which He gives His love. But it's dependent on who He is. 1 John, 5, uh, 1 John chapter 4 says, God is love. His love depends on His character, not on the object in which He's giving His love to, like us. And that's a massive Massive difference between God's love and our love. Now I want you to take that definition and I want to put it to this scripture. Because once we really take that definition and put this scripture to see how he loves the world, it's going to be mind-blowing. It's even that much more amazing because people outside of Christ are not lovable. You and I outside of Christ are not lovable. In fact, the Bible clearly says that we are evil. We are wicked. We are traitors. And yet, John 3.16 says, God loved the world. Not because we are lovely, it's because He is love. And it depends on His character. You see, when we read John 3.16, if we would have heard this, and this is what I did when I first heard it, maybe as I got a little bit older, you know, after a while of hearing it, that God so loves the world, I would think, of course He loves the world. Of course He loves me. Why? Because I'm lovable, Right? Because I'm lovable. I'm a, I'm a good guy. I kind of follow him. I, I go to church on Sundays. You know, I sing some songs. 
I'm, I'm a lovable guy. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. And this is what we do. We, we, we tend to grade ourselves on a sliding scale. Not we tend to, we always do. We always grade ourselves and how, our, how lovable we are to someone who's not as lovable as us. We always do this. So in our minds, we always think of others that are less lovable, so therefore we are what? Lovable, therefore of course God loves us. But again, the Bible clearly states that apart from Christ, you and I are not lovable. We're not lovable. In fact, Jesus, look at verse 19 of John chapter 3. Jesus says we're haters of God and we're lovers of wickedness. Look what he says in verse 19. And this is the judgment that light Jesus has come into the world and people love. That word love there is agape. People make sacrifices for, act on what? The darkness rather than the light. You and I, apart from Christ, planned evil and wicked things, which is anything outside of God. That's what we pursued. That's what we revolved our life around. That's what we planned for. Because their works were evil, verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. We even know that apart from Christ, when we're pursuing the other things, that it's wicked and evil, and yet we do it anyway. We, we sacrifice our lives. We sacrifice our friends and our families to pursue this. This is, this is who we are apart from Christ. We are not lovable. Probably the best illustration of this that really brought it home to me is when I heard this illustration a number of years ago. Uh, Adolf Eich, uh, Eichmann was one of the masterminds of the Nazi concentration camps in, in World War II, Auschwitz, etc. As we know, he was captured in South America in 1961. He was put on trial. And what they did is, is they got all, or all the Jews that were alive that were in Auschwitz that, that come to testify against Eichmann. And one of these guys, was name was Yehir Dunur, where he spent two years in Auschwitz. Two years this guy spent. And when Yehir walked through those doors and he saw Eichmann sitting up at the front, he just fell to his knees. And he started weeping, started grieving. So he started wailing. The emotion came out of him. And in an interview, after the, after the uh, trial, the interviewer asked him, Mike Wallace said, when you first saw Eichmann, were you overcome with fear? Were you overcome with hatred? Were you overcome with the horrific memories of what happened to your, your friends, your family members in those concentration camps on how many people you lost? And this is so insightful. You hear said, no, it was none of these things. He said, rather, Denier explained to Wallace that once he realized that Eichmann was not the godlike soldier, army officer who had, sent, who had been sent to, so many to their death, Eichmann said that this, I'm sorry, Denier said that this Eichmann was an ordinary man and I was afraid about myself. He said, I saw in this man what I am capable of doing. That I'm exactly like him. He goes on to say that Eichmann is in all of us. And apart from Christ, this describes us. Now, now we're not all Eichmanns. 99.9% of the people aren't going to live out what's inside of us. The, the, the pride, the sin, the selfishness of our own hearts. Praise the Lord that the Holy Spirit still kind of constricts that wickedness and evil. But it's all potential in us. And that's what he's saying. It's what the Bible says. That we are all sinners. We all have a hard, dead heart. 
And I want to bring this out now to you. And you're like, think about this. Have you ever had a thought in your mind where it just stopped you in your tracks? And you're like, oh my goodness, I, I didn't know that was in me. Anyone? Go ahead and raise your hand. All you all better raise your hand because I know you. You're just like me. We, we all have the same human condition. There have been many a times that I murdered someone in my heart. Just think about driving. I murdered someone because they cut me off, right? Holy cow, how wicked is that? And so have you. We all. This is what's inside us. And I point that out because this is the backdrop of God's love for the world. This is the context in which He loves you and me. Why we were unlovable. Why we were wicked. Why we were sinners. Why we were rebellious from Him. We wanted nothing to do with Him. He loved us with an infinite, eternal love. Again, not because we were lovable, because of who He is. And so this is where we stop and pause, and as we dissect this verse, we begin here because it makes His love all the more astonishing, right? I mean, it was astonishing that 94 million people didn't know what John 3.16 is. It's, it's, that doesn't even compare to God loving us, you and me. But again, He shows us His love. This is amazing. And if this is where we begin, then the next verse or the next section of this verse will be even that much more mind-blowing to you and me. So let's look at that second. The gift of love, the incarnation of Jesus. The gift of love, the incarnation of Jesus. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. This is what we're celebrating. This is what we're celebrating. The incarnation of Jesus Christ. The greatest gift that God could ever give the world to you or me was His Son. Nothing else. This is the greatest gift. And He gave it to people that are unlovable. Man, this is astonishing. Again, we look at the world's love. The world's love is temporary. It's based usually on feelings and emotions, right? Let me, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had these words spoken to you or have you ever spoken these words to someone? Hey, I just, I've fallen out of love with you. I don't, I don't love you anymore. Have you ever heard those words? Have you ever said those words? That's, that's the way the world defines love. It's something that you can fall into or fall out of. It's something that you could lose, right? We've, you've lost that love and feeling. But love in the Bible is not temporary. And it's not basically solely on sentimentality, but it's sacrificial, as we have said. It's an action. Godly love is, is, is a commitment. It's costly. And it's proved through action. Romans 5 says that while we're yet sinners, what? God demonstrated His love for us, that while we're yet sinners, that Christ died for us. It's an action. It's sacrificial. It does something. It compels the soul to move, to do something. And the love here, we see that God loves us by giving the delight of His heart, His Son, His only Son, so that we might be saved. And so we celebrate here, what we celebrate in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And that's what we're celebrating in Christmas. The greatest gift ever given to you and to me. 1 John 4.10 says, This is love, not that we have loved God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be what? The propitiation of our sins. To be our sacrifice. To be our substitute. So that we may be saved. That we may be forgiven. 
He secured salvation for us of something that we could not do for ourselves. This is the only way. This is the greatest gift. So when we talk about Christmas and we talk about celebrating the incarnation, this is what we're celebrating. The gift of God's only son given to us so that we might be saved. This past week as I was studying, I go, I go on prayer walks almost every day now, try to stay in shape, but also gives me time to, to pray and think clearly. I was I was I was I heard this great this great illustration about God's giving and the, the, the purpose of Christmas is to give. And as I was walking, um, this hits home to me because I, I could relate to it. I've, I've experienced what this guy was talking about, the illustration he gave that I started laughing out loud as I'm walking down the public street and I started having this conversation to myself. So I'm sure people as they were driving by were like, dude, that guy's crazy. Right. Right. We've all done that. We've seen dudes just walking down the street, talking to themselves, laughing. That was me. Right. But it was good because I was worshiping the Lord. And this is the story. Parents, see if you can relate. A father just got done teaching his children about the, the Christmas story. Now, about how God the Father gave us Jesus, the Son. His little, his little, sent him to be a little baber in the manger. And he's about giving. And, and, the, and the kids are like, yeah, Dad, yeah, Pops, I got it. Right? And then they, then they all went away. And, and, the, and the dad was like, man, I just did a great job just telling my kids and, and serving them about the true meaning of Christmas, man. My kids are going to be, you know, getting the answers right in Sunday school with this this weekend. Right. And then about 10 minutes later, one of the sons comes back and was like, hey, dad. He's like, yes, son. He says, what are you getting me for Christmas? Right. And the father's heart just like sank is, oh, man. Didn't we just spend, you know, 20 minutes telling you about the main reason of Christmas, right? Christmas is about giving. God is a giver. Christmas is about giving. And the son goes, oh, yeah, dad, I got it. What are you giving me for Christmas this year? Right. As a parent, have you ever been there? You try to tell your, your little kid, you know, explain to them the gospel. The, the purpose of Christmas is about giving. And that's their thought. Now, the little kids you know, motivation for asking that question was maybe a little off, but his question was not off. His question was not off because this is what good fathers do. Good fathers give good gifts to their kids, right? And that's what this kid was doing. He was like, hey, dad, he saw his dad as good, as loving. What are you giving me for Christmas? So the question is right. And as we say in here, we see that God gave us Christ this Christmas. He was born. He was incarnated. He took on human flesh for a purpose, not just to be a baby forever, but to grow in stature, wisdom, and knowledge and to show us the way to life, to the, the Father, through His perfect life. He taught us through His words. And then ultimately, He died on the cross for you and me, a death that we were supposed to live. And so we see that his birth is always tied to his death. He was born to die. Again, this is the greatest gift that we could ever have. The gift of salvation that can only be accomplished by his son, Jesus. I love what Augustine said about this and about Jesus. He said, the cross is the pulpit that God preached the love of God to the world. Isn't that good? That the cross is the pulpit that God preached the love of God to the world. Now, I just want you to pause and think about this. I really want us to internalize this individually, especially as parents. As I told the first, um, the first gathering, I have two sons. Then I quickly corrected. I said, wait, I got three sons, all right? I corrected myself, just so you know. I couldn't imagine doing this with my boys. 
I mean, I, I love you guys, but guess what? This ain't an option. If it's between them or you, you guys are going to the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? I'm not, I'm not giving them up. Now, I might kill them, but I have that right, right? But it's not going to be for you. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm still being honest in here, you know, I'm still being honest in here. But let's personalize this even more. This is, what, this is what's taking place. What God the Father did, what his love propelled him to do. Imagine saying to your son, I need you to do something for me, son. There are some people out there who are my enemies. They hate me. They want to do harm to me. They're evil. They're wicked. And they deserve to die. But I want you to die in their place instead so that they may have life and that they may have freedom. I mean, when we pause and we think about that, that's, that's unthinkable. John Piper says it's a million more times amazing than that. And I don't, I, I, I don't think it's a million times more amazing. I think it's a million more times unthinkable for me to give up my son to die for someone else. It's incredible. But this is what we're celebrating this Christmas. This is the gift of love through the incarnation of Christ. And it just makes me stop and ponder, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. But hey, not in all the earth, but in my own soul. And that takes us to our third and final point, the purpose of God. The purpose of God's love in the incarnation of Jesus. The purpose of God's love in the incarnation of Jesus. Look at it, give me a, look at it again in 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son so that, or for this purpose, whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. The purpose of God's love in giving His Son is that what? That you and I would not perish. That we would not receive eternal judgment and punishment for our sin, but that we would gain eternal life. Look at verse 15, right before John 3.16. Whoever believes may have eternal life. Look at verse 16. That that we would not perish but have eternal life. Look at verse 17. Jesus was given not to contend the world, but to save the world through Him. The main purpose of God's love towards us in giving His Son was to save you, was to save me, was to seek and save the lost, as Luke said. What we see is God the Father gave His Son. And then Jesus, God the Father's Son, gave His life for us. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does it? so that we might be saved. The question is, well, how do we attain this eternal life? It tells us very clearly, whoever believes. Whoever believes, whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Again, circle that word, in. Again, another small little word that carries the weight of this verse that connects it. Believes in Him. But before we get that, just look at the word whoever first. Whoever means each, every, any, all, whole, everyone, everyone, whoever. Now this is going to be a massive shift in the story of redemption. Because up until this point, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's talking to the Jewish people. Nicodemus as a representative. And here he's saying that this love, this eternal life, this salvation is going to you, the Jews, but also to the whole world. And Nicodemus would be like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, we're the chosen people, not the Gentiles. The Gentiles were seen as dogs in the eyes of the Jews. They were hated. They were despised. But Jesus comes in with this radical message, knowing that God loves them just as He loves you, the chosen people. So whoever believes in Him is chosen. 
is going to be a child, a son, daughter of God. Now let's look at that word in. Because notice it says in whoever believes in Jesus and doesn't say whoever believes that Jesus existed. There's a massive difference between believing in and believing that. Let me unpack that for you just a little bit. I believe that there's a professional football team called the Denver Broncos right down the road, right? But I don't believe in the Denver Broncos. Now, some of you who are believe in the Denver Broncos, your loyalties are being tested right these last five years, as Rich talked about last week, right? He's having a little faith dilemma about them. Not really. He loves them. Although he did tell me in between services when I pointed this out last week, this last time, was that he was actually rooting against the Denver Broncos because he had uh, Josh Allen as his fantasy quarterback, right? <laughs> loyalties. Man, see what fantasy does? That's like sin. It chooses you to root against your team. It's like me choosing to root against, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Baltimore Ravens, or, or the Cleveland Browns. What the heck's his name? What's the quarterback's name? Who? who, who? Yeah, Baker Mayfield. No, never. Anyways, all right. I digress. But let me give you another illustration. I think this is, this is good. In the 1800s, mid-1800s, this tightrope walker who would like, you know, tightrope across, you know, skyscrapers and massive structures. And in fact, in the in mid-1800s, I think around 1860, he, he tightroped across Niagara Falls. So this guy was like the man of tightroping, right? He was the man. And on some occasions, he would tightrope with a wheelbarrow, and he'd put bricks in the wheelbarrow, and he'd tightrope, you know, across the building, the skyscraper, and he'd come back, you know. And then sometimes he'd blindfold himself the wheelbarrow, and he'd cross the skyscraper again on his tightrope, and he'd come back. And the crowd would be just be going nuts, so right? Like, wow, that's amazing. And then he said this. He said, how many of you believe that I could do it again with a person in the wheelbarrow? And the crowd's like, yeah, we believe you can do it. And then he asked this question. Who wants to volunteer to get in the wheelbarrow? And guess what? No one volunteered. You see, they believed that he could do it, but they didn't believe in him enough to get in the wheelbarrow that he could do it. There's a big difference between believing that Christ existed and he was a good teacher and believing in Jesus. The question to you this morning is, have you ever experienced the love of God through the incarnation of Jesus by believing in him and jumping in the wheelbarrow and letting him roll you through life? There's a difference between believing in and believing that believing in requires a action, a response for us to jump into the wheelbarrow to believe part of scripture talks about believing is repenting of our sin, repenting of our wickedness, acknowledging that yes, we, we have rebelled against God and trusting in and jumping in Jesus' wheelbarrow and trusting in His life, His death, His resurrection, that He was a substitute for our sin. Do you believe in Jesus? What's incredible is this, he says, you must believe, John says, to have eternal life. And 98 times John mentions this in the Gospel book of John because this is what this book is about. This book is about believing in Jesus so that you might have eternal life. And seven times in verses 12 through 18, this word believe is mentioned. So do you believe in Jesus? 
That's what we're confronted with in the incarnation. That's why Jesus came. That's why God has so much love for you and me that He sent His Son. And that whoever believes in Jesus, you and I get eternal life. Now again, eternal life. We, we, again, we hear this verse, eternal life. We're like, oh yeah, I know what eternal life is. But again, I just want us to pause. I want to hit the brakes a little bit. I want us to sit at the stop sign of eternal life and meditate on that a little bit. What, what does that mean? You gain eternal life. Well, one, it means that you, we, we avoid punishment and judgment forever. We avoid hell, which is the parish. And we get eternal life. We get, again, bliss in heaven. What does that mean? What do you think of when you hear eternal life? What does that mean? How many of you guys have thought about that this past week? How many of you guys thought about eternal life this past year? How much time and effort have you put towards it? Probably not a lot. Or maybe you've done a little bit more because we live in 2020 and who knows what this... Everyone's like, man, get me out of this world, right? So let me just, let me just, let me just highlight some things. Because I think we all kind of think about... We think about eternal life and what it's not going to have because of the sin, right? And what I mean by that is we think of it as a new creation, heaven on earth. No more sin in all of its little facets, how it permeates culture in our lives. We think about a life with no more pain, right? With no more sickness, with no more disease, no, no more COVID. Can I get an amen? No more diabetes or heart disease, no more depression or no more death, right? Uh, we might think about it with no more relational strife, no more arguments, no more breakups, no more arguments about politics, no more elections, amen, or biased media, right? No more war or terrorist attacks, no more fighting, no more murders. How about this? No more human pride that's the cause of all these things in our hearts. Well, give me heaven. Like, yes. There's no more struggle with finances, no more poverty, no more mortgage bills, no more medical bills, no more college tuitions. I got kids in college, right? These are some of the freedoms that we will be that we will have from the difficulties we face in a living in a Genesis three world. That's how we tend to think about eternal life. But I want to kind of maybe flip it on its head. Not not what's going to be absent, but what what it's going to be like. How about this? As I already mentioned, I love taking walks. Rhea and I love to take walks together. I know some of you. I see your Facebook pictures. You love to go hiking in Colorado. Amen. But how about this? How about taking a lunchtime walk or a lunchtime hike along the river of life with Jesus? That, that, that's what eternal life is. Or your favorite person in the book of the Bible that you just want to pick their brain. You know, we're going through Exodus. What if, what if it's Moses? What if it's Mary? What if it's David or Daniel or Lydia or Rebecca? Right? How awesome is that going to be? That's going to be awesome. But let me, let me drill down even a little bit more. What about some of the loved ones that you've lost that are in heaven right now? You're going to be able to walk along the river of life with them. I think about with my kids, they're going to see my mom. My mom passed away a number of years ago on Christmas Eve. She had an allergic reaction at a, at a Christmas Eve party and died. And, and my kids know Jesus. She knows Jesus. She's up there right now waiting for us. And, and one day... One day my kids are going to be able to walk alongside the river of life with grandma. Who's that for you? Who's that for you?
Is it a mom? Is it a dad? Is it a great, 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 great grandfather you heard stories about that you just can't wait to meet? How about this? Our family, we love, we love watching The Voice or, you know, American Idol back in the day. Now it's The Voice, you know. Rowing around the TV, listening to these, 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 these people that no one knows just sing. And sometimes you hear these, some of these ladies, like, man, you sing like an angel. Well, guess what? One day in heaven, we'll get to, we'll get to actually hear an angel sing. And so we'll actually know what an angel sounds like because we'll be able to sit and listen as a seraphim in the, in the throne room of God are singing what? Holy, holy, holy. This is, this is what heaven is going to be like. These are, these are some of the experiences that we're going to get to experience together. Incredible. Well, I want to give you guys some homework this week. I'm going to give you some homework, homework assignment. Take some time this week. And just sit and pause in the busyness of our day. Just get the noise out. And I want you to write some stuff down on paper on what heaven is going to be like for you. Scripture gives us guidelines. But I want you to, I want you to think. I want you to dig down like we talked about. Walking along the river of life. Listening to the angels sing. Do this assignment. And be amazed at what the love of God has given us. Eternal life. Something to look forward to the future but we also get to taste and see a little bit of it now. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will what? Will get to experience eternal life. And it's not just a, a quantity of life, you know, for eternity, but there's a quality to it that we're, we're going to taste and see that we are just yet to experience. And it's going to be amazing. So think about all the benefits of eternal life that you're going to get to experience. And like Squint said in the sandlot, forever, right? Forever. This is the love of God given through the incarnation of Jesus. This is what we're celebrating this season. And really every day, but we really focus our time and attention on now. Now some of you might walk in here and you'd be like, man, I don't feel loved by God right now. I don't feel like I don't feel loved by God because we all do this. You and I tend to, to do this with God's love and, and, and kind of the way we think God feels about us or loves us depends on our circumstances or our performance for him. That, that's how we tend to think of God's love. If he loves me or not, we play the game. Does he love me or not? Right. He loves me. He loves me not. This is typically how sometimes we can think about that and listening and looking to God's love. We play this game. Let me just play it out a little bit for you to see if you guys ever do this. Or is it just me? It goes like this. I'm still single. Oh, he loves me not. Oh, I just got married. Oh, he loves me. I just got that job. Oh, he loves me. I just lost that job. He loves me not. I don't have cancer. He loves me. I have cancer. He loves me not. Does anyone play that game with God in your way? I think we all do. And what we're celebrating here in John 3.16, this is what I'm here to tell you, that if you believe in Jesus, then you need to know that you are loved beyond this world. And it's not based on your circumstances. It's not based on your performance, but it's based on Him. It's based on the accomplishments of Christ. It's based on God's love for you that He gave His only Son Jesus, who then gave his life for you. 
That's the basis of God's love for you. Not on your effort, not on your performance. But it's based on his character and his accomplishments in Christ. I'll sum it up like this. He's given us a gorgeous creation to live in. Bodies with self-healing powers. Minds that can figure things out. Relationships that make life rich. So on and so on. But all these earthly gifts of God come and go. If we base our confidence in God's love for for ourselves, for our health, um, if we base our confidence in God's love on our health or on our safety or any other good gift tied to the moment, we will never be sure that God loves us. So God revealed his love with such finality and in such a way that we can know for sure and we can know for keeps. He did it through John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God didn't loan us his son. He gave him his son. And his son gave up his life for us at the cross. Again, he was born to die so that we might have eternal life and know and experience the love of God personally and for all eternity. This is the love of God in the incarnation of Christ. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And again, yes, in all the earth out there, but also in here for you and for me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this great verse. Lord, as we start in the outset, this is the greatest sentence penned in human history. And Lord, thank you for reacquainting our hearts and our souls and our minds with the love of God found in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That we know that we were unlovable and yet you loved us with an infinite, with a holy, with a pure, with a heavenly love that propelled you to send us your son. Who then loved us in a way that we didn't deserve to be loved, that he gave his life for us on the cross as our substitute. And he rose again to prove that who he was. And through that, we have eternal life. The forgiveness of sins. And one day we will see him face to face and take those walks. And get to pick his brain about life. But most importantly, about love. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in here today that does not know you, that first they would believe in you. And not that you existed. They would repent of their sins and trust in you. And for us it has, Lord, that first that we would just worship you. Have thankfulness in our hearts. As we continue through this Christmas season and that, that our hearts would be filled with joy, filled with hope, filled with peace. But ultimately filled with love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.